Welcome back, South Carolina. I'm your host, Brandon Peak, and this is Podcast 1854. Welcome back to another episode of Podcast 1854. Today, we're going to be joined by Ingrid Centurion, who is running for U.S. Congress in the 1st District here in South Carolina. Ingrid is an American first. She is a conservative, a Republican, an entrepreneur, a veteran, a wife, and a mother. Along with that, she spent 22 years in the U.S. Army flying critical missions. She's married to a retired serviceman, and she has two sons that are currently now serving our country. So, Ingrid, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So will you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Sure, sure. Everyone wants to know. I was born in New Jersey and um, I'm the youngest of four children. Um, my my father was um, from Argentina and my mother's from Puerto Rico. And so we grew up in New Jersey. But sad thing is uh, my mom and dad were in a car accident when I was two years old. My brother was seven. My sister was nine and the oldest was 12. And he passed away. He was 31 years old. Uh, my mom was in the car too, but she lived and she took care of us. She raised us and uh, she had to go to work. She was a waitress her whole life. So I've been raised by a single mom who worked very hard and we always took care of our mom. We're still taking care of mom today and we love our family. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that, but it's um, ultimately molded you into the, the, the wonderful woman that you are today. Imagine yes, seeing I, your mom work like that. You know? my, how, how to work all the time. I mean, we all start have started working early. We would, you know, save our money, give uh, mom, you know, money to pay for, for the rent and take care of, you know, the family. Um, so we all had that paper route, you know, selling Christmas cards, selling Avon. My sisters would work as well. So that's what I just want everybody to know. I come from a family that was hardworking family. And, uh, you know, you don't, you don't spend what you don't have. Very conservative, fiscally conservative. And if you live a life like that, you can be successful. You know, don't overspend. Don't go in debt. Um, save up your money before you buy something. And one of the things that I did at 16 and 17 is I saved $3,000 and I got my private pilot license at 17. Oh wow! That's so I awesome. share that because a lot of people say they want to do things in life, but then they don't save the money up for it. And I wanted to be a pilot and then I became a pilot at 17. I was a pilot. At, I was a commercial pilot at 20. And then I went into the military and became a helicopter pilot, Huey, Blackhawk and fixed wing pilot. I had a great career in the military and I had a, the opportunity to fly in combat in Iraq, searching for terrorist groups. I let everybody know that. I also flew missions, aerial reconnaissance missions along the U.S. southern border, working with the United States Border Patrol. After I retired, I went to work in corporations in the corporate world. I worked with advanced technology companies, robot companies, mm -hmm. and software companies. And I helped small businesses and also helped startup companies, help them grow their business and get going. So I love technology. I love science. And I, do I have I'm a big fan of science and tech. I really am. I love it. I try to learn as much as I, much as I can. I've always been into it. And that um, that actually led me into the, you know, the field that I'm in with, uh, you know, being a licensed electrician. So uh, I 
really enjoy it. But I must say at 17 years old, you know, that's that's pretty impressive because, you know, most people at 17, they're not thinking, hey, let me go get my, you know, my my pilot license. And so um, I commend you on that. And I also want to thank you and, you know, your your family, your husband and both of your sons. You know, they're like you said, they're currently serving now. And so thank you for serving our, our nation, this the, one of the greatest nations in the world. So. If- yep. So I had a, so I had a great career after, um, after all that, I, I'm actually a published author, mm-hmm. a motivational speaker and corporate trainer. So my book is called Centurion's Commitment. Um, anyone can buy it on Amazon. I wrote that book to inspire people to, you know, accomplish more in their lives. I think a lot of times we may not have confidence in areas. So we have to push our boundaries and get out there and just do it. Doesn't matter where you came from. Uh, you put your mind to something and surround yourself around the right people and the team, you, you can accomplish that. So I, I just want people to live a better life. Exactly right. And I'm with you on that 100%. You know, as long as you stay focused and the determine, you know, set goals and then uh, achieve them. But ultimately, like you just stated, you know, having the right people around you is very critical to your success, because if you're around a group of people that's going nowhere, then you're going to go nowhere. But when you surround yourself with people that has goals and ambitions, then that also motivates you to want to achieve your goals and your ambitions. So I think that is a wonderful thing. I really do. So let me ask you, Ingrid, if someone was to come up and they was to say, all right, who is Ingrid Centurion? What would be your response to that? I want to keep it simple. I would say service, leadership, and country. You know, I've, I've, I've served my country. And even when I got out of the military, I did those 10 years were working with technology companies that support the warfighter and our law enforcement agencies. Mm-hmm. And then being a leader, I, I was always a leader on the um, athletic field. I played softball, basketball, soccer, mm-hmm. and you know, I love my country. We have to be proud of our history. We need to know our history yes, and we, do. we need to be proud Americans today. Exactly right. And you know, history is something that I, I love very special to me. And it's like I tell people all the time, you know, history is not meant for us to like or dislike. It's meant for us to learn, to teach us a lesson, the good, the bad. We can't pick and choose what history we teach. We have to know it all, the good and the bad. That way we can learn from previous mistakes or, I mean, just like now, take take the coronavirus. You know, again, they have relied heavily on past plagues and pandemics to to help us today. So history is very important. And I think a lot of people, uh, they, they really need to understand that it's not just one side, it's it's all side, it's the good, it's the bad. And uh, it's it's a very resourceful and useful tool to go back and, and, and pull that when we need to. So another thing, when we sit here, and you're running for U.S. Congress. And so what made you decide to run for U.S. Congress? Well, we are now in challenging times in America. And I really feel that President Biden has been a total disaster 
and what he's done on along our borders has me very concerned the, from the first week that he got in office. Absolutely. And we also have um, House Democrats passing socialist legislation that increases censorship over speech mm-hmm. and keeps people in power and is truly giving the government unprecedented amounts of power to manipulate elections, to, to really um, control the people. And I think that we can't allow our rights to be taken like this and freedoms. And that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm running. I want legislators. I want to represent the people. I want to be their voice. And I want to be able to speak up when our uh, constitution is being violated mm-hmm. and when our freedoms are being infringed upon. We cannot allow the government to control us. Exactly right. And when you talk about censorship, I'm going to tell you, you know, so I just did an episode two days ago. So it should have come out yesterday and it was entitled Medical Freedom. But due to the content, you know, it is up for review now. And that's through, you know, Apple. We stream through multiple services. We have Anchor. We have Spotify. We have Apple Podcasts. We have Google Podcasts. And they literally, because of the title, they have to review it to make sure that it is okay to air. And I'm like, you know, what happened to freedom of speech? You know, I mean, it's a conversation. This is my take on medical freedom. And yet you're, you're sitting here in my mind and you're infringing on my constitutional right to voice my opinion. So uh, as of right now, that episode has yet to be released due to the fact that it's under, quote, review. <laughs> yeah, so it's definitely, um, I mean, it's getting out of hand with stuff like that. And it's almost, Ingrid, I, I get the feeling, and, and not even the feeling, I mean, because you can see it, but um, they pick and choose what they want to censor. Because, I mean, let's just say this, um, a year ago, you know, if you was to say anything about COVID this or vaccinating that, all this and that, you know, they would flag it, they would remove it, you know, inappropriate and all this and that. Now you can, you can say that and, and it's fine. So uh, again, it's like they pick and choose what and who they want to censor. So we, now we there, definitely yeah. got to do something about that. All right. Now there's one thing of being rude and disrespectful and vulgar. And then there's one and just sharing your opinion and share your opinion based on facts, based on story, based on, you know, an incident that may have occurred. And you're right. People are out there um, sharing information and they're being banned. That's just, that's just, that's anti-American. <laughs> it is. That's not how our country was built, you know, and that's not what our founding fathers you know, intended for our country to be. That's why we have, in my mind, one of the greatest, you know, documents um, that's ever been written, and that's the United States Constitution. So, speaking of the Constitution, how do you feel about it? What are your thoughts about the Constitution? Do you think it's safe? well? I I think it I think it was one of the greatest documents written. I think many other countries have learned from our constitution and forming their uh, form of government. And I think that we have forgotten the constitution uh, right now. It's happening all across America and many of the blue states. Mm-hmm. Legislators, um, both sides, uh, have forgotten the constitution. We need to get back to it and um, really 
read those amendments and understand what they say and what the history behind why it was written. And what we see happening today are it, it, they're literally just forgetting the Constitution. And uh, so many people have turned their back on President Trump's agenda to make America great again. We, we have to put American citizens first. We have to secure our borders before exactly. we send our troops to other countries defending other borders. We have to, you know, clean up our home. Exactly. And we really need to focus on the family. Um, I'm a real family person. You have to take care of your family. You have to take care at home. You have to. This is this is a lot of th- areas that um, we've lost here in America. And I totally agree. We got to get back to. I totally agree. And, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I want to talk about life because we as a, as a, as a people and a culture, we must value life. Mm-hmm. So I'm 100% pro-life. And you need to understand awesome. why. Me too. You know, and, and I think people out there that say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm pro this and I'm pro that. I, it, we, we just need to be a culture that values life, mm-hmm. right? A doctor becomes a doctor because he wants to save people, not because he wants to kill people. Nurses become nurses because they want to care for people. They want you to live longer. They want to see you be a healthy human being. And if we create a generation that doesn't value life, you know, our future truly isn't jeopardy. I don't want to kill anything. I, I want to live long and I want that life to be healthy. And we need to create a younger generation that understands individual responsibility. You we know, do. If they're out there. If, if, if something happens and they, you know, get pregnant, um, you know, really consider that. That's, that's a family. That's a life there that could be a part of you. And I, and I know so many people that actually, you know, the thought came about, but then they ended up having their, their child and it, and they created a family. Mm-hmm. And that is what's important. It is one of the um, best feelings in the world. As a father of four, I'm going to tell you, um, it changed my life forever because I was literally headed down the wrong path. And, um, you know, I was 17 years old when my wife got pregnant and I turned 18 in April and my daughter was born premature in July, July 19th. So this year she'll be 18 years old. And I'm going to tell you, Ingrid, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. And not only, you know, was I blessed with a, a you know, bright and beautiful daughter, but, you know, it, it made my life not about me but about my child, you know? So I I stopped living for me and started living for her. And exactly again, ever since then, and like I say, now, you know, we have four and uh, it's literally one of the best things that God could give us is, is a child. And whenever, you know, I see, you know, children being murdered and that's exactly what it is when you have a fully developed child that is, you know, being murdered through abortion it, it it blows my mind and I don't even see how these people could live with their self. I don't see how they go to sleep at night knowing that they allowed this to happen. But yet here we are. And I'll tell you, you know, a, a quick topic. So a guy, I don't know if you heard the story up in Greenville in the Easley area. So um, back in November 2021, he um, got a letter from MUSC and he was on the kidney transplant list. And so 
they told him, well, you have until January the 1st to get the vaccination or we're going to place you on the inactive list. Now, this guy has been on dialysis for a little over two years and um, he sat there and, you know, he's had kidney failure since he was 10 years old. And now he's on the inactive list and they have called him. They have tried to what can we do to persuade you to get this shot? And he's just like, you know, nothing and his doctors told him, well, you have about five to seven years on dialysis left. And now he's already, you know, go, you know, in year two, he's already in year two. So that's not five to seven years isn't a long time. We think about it as a long time, but it goes by so fast. And, you know, we can allow this man to be taken off of a transplant list all because he refuses to take a vaccination which is his constitutional right, but yet you deny him the service. I mean, that's, that's a life that, 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 that's a matter of life and death right there. So I, I totally, totally disagree with that. And I think something needs to be done for sure. But yet we can abort babies. We can kill babies that are fully developed. You know, I, I totally have a problem with that. And I know that there are very, small situations where, you know, at an early stage. But again, um, I just, I, I disagree with it 150% and I will always be pro-life. There's nothing, no one, anyone can say or do to change that. So I'm glad to hear that you are pro-life as well. Yes. And I'll always support, you know, legislation that um, would end abortion or lead us in that direction. I, I believe, you know, it's the duty of our government to protect life as a right guaranteed in the Constitution. Exactly right. So you mentioned that you have um, worked with ICE to fight, you know, transitional threats. And so you've been at our southern border firsthand. So how do you feel about the crisis that's unfolding at our border and the fact that our president is willing to go and secure a border overseas, but yet won't secure our own border here in America? Well, I love to talk about the border and our nation's security because I flew the border, the southwestern border and some of the Canadian border. I've walked on the ground along the border in Texas, New Mexico, California. I've been out on the uh, boats. You know, we have a maritime border. People need to understand there's many ways to enter um, this country mm -hmm. <laughs> by air, by ground, by underground. Uh, and we, we need to protect our borders. So as as I was doing missions out there and we were making a difference, it still wasn't enough um, because our borders are so vast. Yeah. So what the administration, the current administration has done is truly open the borders for people to come here from yes, over 50 countries. When I was working on the border over 12 years ago, um, we had people coming into this country, but it was maybe, maybe about 10 different states, 10 to 15. Today, what you see coming across the border, it, it ranges from over 74 different countries. And so we need to realize that these people are coming. You know, not all of them are, are good people. Yes, some are coming for work. Some are coming because they are leaving terrible areas. But we have to have a process and they need to come legally. Exactly. There, There's a way to enter our country 
legally, just like you said, you, you know, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And again, we are the land of opportunity. If you look around the world, when something's going on, you see the American flag being flown because it is a beacon of hope for millions of people. So just it's it's not saying that we don't want you here. It's saying there is a right way of doing it because, you know, I mean, look, look at the murder rate that has skyrocketed due to illegal immigrants coming here. And, you know, next thing you know, they're they're committing these heinous crimes. I mean, and then if you look at the way that they're housed, you know, the sexual assaults that are taking place, the uh, the the. It's just it, it blows my mind, Ingrid. And when you see them stacked on top of each other, but yet what happens to the mandates in those cages that um, the Obama administration, for those of you that don't know, actually built those cages that they were referring to that President Trump used. But, you know, the Obama administration put those in effect. And um, if you guys could see firsthand the pictures of how those are, but yet we're being told as Americans that you know, you can't do this unless you get a shot. Uh, you can't have a life-changing, you know, procedure, like, unless you get a shot. You have to have a mask. You have to do this. Uh, where's your card? You know, let me see your medical card. That's that's private information, you know. But yet, we can sit here and allow these people to come over here, and then we put them on a bus. We pull on, put them on a plane. We don't check them to see if they're vaccinated. We don't do any of that, and then they d literally send them out these urban areas and communities and they drop them off and then they never hear from them again and so we definitely have to get a grip on that and what you're bringing up here is socialism um under joe biden and and this uh administration we are seeing a rise in socialism and that is the danger socialism leads to communism and what this is doing is it's it's devastating our economy. It's already poisoned our education system. Mm -hmm. And it truly is dividing us as a people. When I get out there and I, I meet people in the community, you know, I have a red card, I have a blue card, and I have a white card. And I say, what, what card do you want? What color? Because it's not about political party. It's about America and the future of America. Amen. And we that. must stop this. We must stop big government overreach and all those things that you had indicated are exactly that. Exactly. So the truck drivers in Canada had enough. And th this is what's happening now. We are all we have had enough and we're all getting involved in our local cities and towns all across America. Yes, we and are. we're getting involved in political uh, aspects. And we need to because it's very important. We do. We can't just sit back and, and, and let our nation be be ruined. And that's what's happening. I mean, literally, whenever you have the United States government, as in people like Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, you know, whenever um, President Trump executed the order to kill Soleimani, you know, to sit there and send condolences to a man that has killed thousands of American people and they had intel that he was getting ready to plan another attack. So what do you do as a leader? You eliminate the threat. You know that firsthand by serving our country for 22 years on these critical missions in Iraq. I mean, your job literally, if I'm not mistaken, was to hunt down these terrorists, correct? That's right. That's right. That's what I did. It was military intelligence, top secret. But um, yeah, we were searching for bad guys. We found them and um, we... 
eradicated we, we them. found them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Exactly right. You know, so, I mean, what are your thoughts? Like, whenever you see something like that happen, where you have people like Pelosi that sit there and they send their condolences out, you, you know, to, to someone like uh, uh, Soleimani, I mean, what, 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 do you, what, what is your feeling as a veteran? I mean, because you, you was over there. A lot of people don't know what it's like. And I tell them, you know, when you give me something and you say America's so bad, it's so bad compared to what? Like, you know, I'm going off, like you said, our data, statistics, facts, studies, research. So compared to what? What is it? You know, give me something to compare it to. And they can't. And, and I offer any of them, anybody that's listening, if you think that America is just such a bad place, go over to some of these countries and see how they live. And I promise you, promise you you'll change your mind and you will really be grateful for America. We're not perfect, but we are the greatest nation in this world. Well, people that make comments like that, you need to realize is they, they may, they may have never lived in any other countries. Mm -hmm. You know, my family and I, we've lived in three different countries. We've moved around to nine different States. When you have the opportunity to travel, you get to see, you get to see other areas, how they govern, mm -hmm. how they spend their money, what they spend their money on. You know, are the roads and infrastructure good? Are the highways and the, the, the bridges falling apart? How is the, the neighborhoods? What is the quality of education and health care? That varies all across America. And um, so they're making comments like that because they, they the situation can always be worse. Yeah. And you, you also need to appreciate what you have. So they're not grateful. And that's really what's happening here. They're not, you know, and they're sitting there doing this while they're in their multi-million dollar houses and, you know, living the finer life of things. But yet you want to sit here and, and, and say, oh, America's so bad, but yet you're, you're prosperous, you know, you're, you're a millionaire or whatever the case may be. But we're, we're so bad. And uh, I totally disagree with them. This is the land of opportunity. Just like I said, it is a beacon of hope for, for the entire world, you know. And well, I want to I want to talk to you about um, election integrity, because everyone always wants to ask me about, you know, um, election integrity. Uh, you know, how do I feel about, um, you know, the the election? Some mm -hmm. people ask me who's the president. They're asking me all these questions. I could imagine. You know, and so I was a maintenance test pilot in the Army. I'm also ISO 9001 qualified. Mm -hmm. So that means we have to find the problems, fix them, cr uh, create a maintenance procedure to correct it. And then put that aircraft back up in the air again so it's safe. Yeah. Not that doesn't happen again. And people need to understand that the election process, the election accountability, every state is different. Every state is running their their elections processes differently. They have different systems, they have different computers. Mm -hmm. And so there isn't no there is no standardization across the country. And being a pilot, I love standardization. We had to do things in certain order. Mm -hmm. And so they, people make mistakes, and sometimes we there are systemic errors in the system, as well as environmental errors, human errors. That's right. If you if you mail your ballot, it could get lost in the mail. You know, it could be a windy day that day, flies out of the you know, the post carrier's truck. Mm -hmm. So you, we need to realize that yes, there are um, errors, and there's 
human errors and like I was saying, different types of errors. Well, and then, then, then there's people that make real gross negligent errors and there's people that make small errors, but we have to make sure that the count is correct. The accuracy, the accuracy of the vote. Mm-hmm. And, and for anyone to sit and say that, you know, their um, processes are perfect flawed, then they should be open to come and audit me, come check my books. They shouldn't be afraid of that. And if we want to have faith in the election process, that's what we need to do. We need to have an audit of the 2020 general election in all 50 states because every state runs differently and even counties run differently. Mm -hmm. And I have seen with my own eyes, town clerks and individuals responsible for the, the count make mistakes, make big mistakes. Mm -hmm. And you know what? They were never fired. It was covered up. So there's no accountability. And, you know, when you sit there and you touch on that, you you know, as a member of the fire service, you know, uh, FEMA incident command, and, you know, I've did some work with DHS as well. So I'm all about structure. And, and so whenever there's no structure in place, it opens these big gaping holes for stuff just like you mentioned to take place. So in my mind, whenever, you know, we have elections, I mean, that should be standard. It should be one procedure, one system across the board, period. You know, you shouldn't have this state doing it like this, this county doing it like that. It should be mandated that it's all under one system and the system needs to be proven. There needs to be not one, not two, but it needs to be three to four people to check it, to verify it, to make sure there aren't errors because we are humans. We're not perfect. That's right. And machines, they do glitch out. I mean, it's been That's documented right. over and over again. So. We've been fighting a cyber warfare, uh, you know, a, a cyber war for over 15 years. Mm-hmm. People steal people's identity. People hack into systems. People steal data. And it's a big industry, a billion dollar industry in this. And for anyone to think that, oh, it could never be um, infiltrated, they're wrong. Or they definitely don't have a background in software technology to realize that, you know, it could happen. I believe in medical freedom. Mm-hmm. I believe in restoring people's medical privacy. Do you remember when you couldn't even ask someone if they had certain conditions? Nope. Because you know what? It's none of your business. Exactly right. And we have to have we have to pr- we have to protect our data. Our data is being compromised, and that's where we are today. And this is where across the country, the absentee ballot system. Um, has been compromised in some states across the country. Well, and and real quick before we before we get into that, I want to get one la- one one opinion about mail-in ballots because that's something that really concerns me because there has been so many cases of I mean, you know, one guy turned in, I want to say over 200 ballots that was mailed to this one address. 200, you know. <laughs> right. 200. And I mean, the guy took pictures. I mean, he was putting the paper. I mean, you 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 have uh, post carriers that were caught with ballots in the trunk of their car. They delayed and they were literally instructed by the postmaster to not turn those in. You hold those until this time so they wouldn't be counted. So when it comes to mail-in ballots, you know, I think that there needs to be 
uh, you have to meet a certain qualification before you can even do a mail-in ballot, you know, and, and it's only one. And if that one goes out, that that's it. There's not a second one that gets sent out and there has to be accountability for that. So what are your thoughts about mail-in ballots? Well, when you say absentee ballot is different than mail-in ballot. When mm -hmm. you say absentee ballot, you need to be out of the country. You may have a sickness or physical uh, disability that doesn't allow you to vote on that day. It may be a religious thing. So there's clear things on absentee, absentee ballot rules. Mm -hmm. And that's, and, and you have to request it. You have to show identification. Mm -hmm. They check your signature. You see, I'm explaining here a clear, secure, safe process. Exactly right. That is good for especially military people. When we travel, we're not in the state, so we have to request it. And then when it comes back, it goes into a safe. Mm -hmm. they, these are great ways. So there is no errors in, in the count. I, I would say. But now you talk about this mail in and, you know, they they mailed a ballot, multiple ballots, actually, to people's homes For sure. is where it's losing its accuracy. Yep. You don't even know if that person who lived at the house even signed it. Exactly. Right. And some and in some states, they don't want to check the signature. That doesn't make any sense. Of course, they should check the signature for accuracy. That's you right. want to make sure that that person is who that person is. And there are also cases of that. Well, and so, no, I think I think um, the other side, you know, agreement against that would say, well, if everybody gets a mail in, mail in um, you know, to mail in to vote, it makes it easier. OK, you're making it easier, but you're making it less accurate. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to understand. I mean, the Constitution um, says that we should vote on, you know, one voting day. Exactly and maybe right. everybody couldn't get to the ballots on that one voting day. And I understand that. So we've extended the period. But I don't think you should be allowed to vote eight weeks ahead of the voting day because you're you're hurting the process, the candidates who are running. Right. You're 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 changing the whole process because even up to eight weeks, people sometimes haven't decided. Some people decide maybe on that last day and you are taking away weeks for candidates getting out there and doing the old fashioned thing. And that's shaking hands and meeting people and answering their questions. And if you want to win an election, that's what you have to do. You have to work hard. You have to get out there and you got to let people know that what you are about and what your values are, you know, and my values are the constitution, faith, family, and freedom. And, I and I hope it. everyone in the low country understands that I am a, patriotic American. I, I care deeply about our family, our culture, and our history, and mm -hmm. we have to preserve it. And we need to have leaders in there who will fight for the long history of South Carolina and keeping it God's country. Yeah. Amen to that. And, you know, when, when you talk about the mail-in ballots or whatnot, so people got in an uproar because, uh, you know, they needed to show an ID to vote, right? <laughs> but yet no one wants to get in an uproar whenever you go to a restaurant and you have to pull out, like you just said earlier, a piece of private information. And that's if you've been vaccinated or not. So uh, what you have your vaccine card. Yeah. So 
I have to yeah, show that, that, you that, yeah. but yet I don't have to show you my ID to vote. So you can't even identify me, but yet I have to show you my private medical information. Where yeah, well, listen, that makes no common sense. Let's move on to the next subject. I tell everybody, look, do you remember Blockbuster when you used to go rent the movies, the movies? at Blockbuster? Yeah, yeah. yeah, you had a show ID. Exactly. You had a show ID to get a video because they wanted that video back. And if you didn't turn it in, they'd come after you. They want to make sure you are who you say you are. Yeah. <laughs> this is simple things. It and really is. Of course, you need to show ID. It seems like it seems like, you know, they sit there and not all, but majorities, especially the left, it's not about the people, it's about the policy. And so I commend you seriously on, on, on what you're doing. And I think it's very respectful because you do have to get out. You have to get to know the people. It is about the people, not the party. You know, the people make the party. It, it's not the okay. party make the people. It's, it's not that because ultimately us voters, we put you where you are, supposedly, you know, if, if, if there is election integrity. So, uh, again, it, it's it's gone to a radical, radical extremist in my mind on how it's and, being ran because it's and, uh, about money. Another another crazy radical extreme is allowing biological men to compete in female sports and to invade women's spaces. Yes, we you just know, did I a have show friends on that. that are, I have friends that are transgender and I love them. They're great guys yep. or girls now. But, you know, they should not be competing in female sports, taking away those scholarships for our daughters and our granddaughters. No. I had a, I, my future depended on getting a scholarship to college, being mm -hmm. raised by a single mom. My mom couldn't pay for my schooling. And so I was very athletic. And if there were men now competing who have transitioned and it, it, it would be so unfair taking those scholarships away. So this is something that is really, I'm very, very passionate about this. And this is an, an issue that, our legislators should fight for, and I will fight for our daughters and our granddaughters. Whoa. And if, you know, biological men want to become women and go through the transition, okay, they can do that. They, we have the medical procedures to do that. Well, then they should have their own category. It well, would be the they transgender have a league category. Of their own. You know, give them a league of their own. That's right. Seriously. I mean, because women, we just did, we just did an episode on this, you know, called, you know, in the episode was literally entitled saving women sports. And, you know, there's actually a um, a bill in the House of Representatives, and the bill is H4608, and it's about saving women's sports. And so you'll have to check that episode out. And those of you that are listening, you can go back, and the name of the episode is entitled Saving Women's Sports. But it's really good. We touched on a lot of points, and it's just um, – it's, it's not fair because women have worked so hard to get to where they are. And in, in sports, and again, all the, the hours, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the dedication, the sacrifices to be able to do what they wanted to do and, and actually, you know, have the profession they wanted. And now when you have a naturally born male come in and is able to compete against a female, where is the logic in that? There is none, and there's no way that anybody can make that argument that it's right and it's fair, because it's not. And we have to fight. That's why I encourage everyone that's listening to call your local legislators, tell them that you support the House of Representatives Bill H4608. So it's, it's highly critical that we, again, we prevent that, especially here in South Carolina, but our nation as well.
I want to make sure everybody goes to my website. It's centurionforcongress.com. Mm-hmm. They can donate right at the top. I need to um, raise money to help me reach people and get the word out, get the message out. And that would I would be very grateful for that. And that's how they can contribute. They can also go to the website, Centurion for Congress, and volunteer. I have hundreds of volunteers, and we're going to win this race because we're going to win it together. That's right. Amen. And what I'll do is um, we'll make sure to, before you leave, we'll we'll get the information and we'll we'll post the links to uh, your websites and all that. So once they see the podcast, all you have to do, guys, is just click on the link, and it will take you straight to um, Ingrid's campaign page. So um, I just have a couple more oh, questions for you, Ingrid. I also wanted to tell you too that I have events coming up. So I'm going on a Take Back America. Okay. It's not Save America. It's not make America great again. It's take back America. That's what we need to do. Take back America. And it's my series tour. And I'm going to be speaking at town halls all across the district. I'm speaking actually tomorrow at a rotary in um, at Bessinger's Barbecue. Not tomorrow. I'm sorry. I'm speaking next week at 1230 at a rotary St. Andrew's Rotary in Charleston, 1602 Savannah Highway, uh, Bessinger's Barbecue. And then I'm speaking 17 February at the VFW in Goose Creek. Mm -hmm. And then I'm speaking 19 February at Post 3433 in Somerville. Gotcha. So, yeah, you you pretty much got the, the month of February. Oh, I'm on also speaking on the 24th of February in at the Sun City uh, GOP out in Bluffton. Okay. But I plan on getting out there, and if people want to invite me, I will come. I will speak to them. Love to get to know them, answer their questions, and really understand you know what their concerns are. Mm-hmm. Everybody has uh, different concerns during different parts of their life. You're a young family. Education is important. Exactly. If you're right. a senior. Healthcare is important. How our seniors are being treated in the nursing homes here in the military. You know, our defense is important. Yeah. You have children in the military. You want you want your children to be safe. You know, everybody has their struggles in life and they're all they're all fighting their internal war. And we just have to get along and we have to come together as a country and mm-hmm. as a people. Well, that was that was one of my next questions. So. Here in South Carolina, you know, um, education is, is again, it's, it's a big topic. We have some um, committees going on. And so what are your thoughts about the education here in South Carolina and just, you know, overall as a country? Well, our education ha- has deteriorated over the past 20 years in America. We're no longer the leaders in math and science and many subjects. We really need to improve our education. Education is so important to me. I went to the public school systems before Common Core. Common Core has really dumbed down our children. Yes, it has. And it's put a we, lot of extra we, burden on them they don't need. That's right. We need to get back to the basics when it comes to education. We need to make sure that our children you know, how, know how to read, have comprehension skills, they need to know how to write. Some of the kids, you know, when they took the cursive away, mm-hmm. some of these kids don't cannot even read 
cursive handwriting. We need to challenge our younger generation, not make it easier for them. They need to know math. They need to know civics. They should have cooking classes. When you look at the curriculums today, that's right. When you look at the curriculums today, the topics that they're teaching them are so uncalled for. Yes. If we can just go back in time and 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 use those old old fashioned books, bring all those books back. Those are some of the greatest books. Mm-hmm. You know, my history book. I had one whole year of the Constitution in fourth grade. You don't see that today. That's right. And we definitely need to improve our education system. And that's why so many people are homeschooling their children. Mm-hmm. And I support those families that homeschool their children because they quit their careers because they know their children are the most important thing yeah. for the future. And that's why they've done that. Exactly. And, you know, we just celebrated the uh, school choice week at the state house. So that was a great that was a great event. You know, eye opener. And uh, so, you know, I, I have, like I said earlier, four children and, you know, my oldest daughter, she'll graduate this year. That's the only reason why she's not, you know, homeschooled. But the other three, they are. My my son's been homeschooled from day one. And my uh, my two younger daughters, they they are homeschooled as well. So and again, it's because of the system. And I mean, like when when you take cursive writing out of the curriculum that you're teaching, but yet you, you you tell these kids, oh, well, sign, you know, sign this application, fill out a college application. How are you going to sign a check? How are you going to sign, you know, a lease agreement for your apartment? Or I, you can't write cursive. It doesn't say print. It says signature. And we're not teaching them that. That taps into the creative side of our brain, the artistic side, you know, so and we're taking it away. I mean, we're not the, the, the basic skills of life should be taught and we have taken it out and we've honestly poured so much stuff onto these children and and in my opinion overworked them because the stuff i mean it makes no sense the way they have to do this and do that and there's a simpler way because i mean we we went through it and it was very successful i mean to teach them how to cook teach them how to change a tire i mean trade schools you know they want you to do this they want you to do that and you know i've always said one thing they never taught us in school was about money. You know, they'll teach you how to count money, but they won't actually teach you about money. You know, wealth, generational wealth, how to how how to get there because they literally they teach you to a certain level so you can then go in and you can become a worker and you're just stuck that way. So they don't want you to be an entrepreneur. You know, so we these trade schools again. I that's I'm an entrepreneur. You know, uh, my business is in the trades as a general contractor. So it's very important that we have that, and and we're not teaching it. And and again, they're falling they're, they're falling off. Well, so, parents need to be involved. Parents need to tell the school boards this is what my children need to learn. The parents must be involved. When you talk about learning about money. Uh, I, when you grow up poor and you don't have anything, you save money. That's how I learned. I learned from my parents. There's certain things we learn from our parents and there's certain things that they should be learning at school. And we definitely need to separate those. Uh, exactly. And so saving money, managing your budget, that is a skill set that definitely you need to learn. But you need to know math. You need to know how to sub- add and subtract first. Totally. That's why I say we have to get back to the basics. Yeah. All right. So 
I have two more questions for you. And um, I know you're very busy. So again, I, I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to come here and be with us today. But um, as, you know, a military veteran and a patriot, what are your thoughts about our nation's current defense? Well, we've we've got great we've got great soldiers, sailors, navy. We we have you know the greatest uh, defense in the world, and we need to keep it that way. Uh, we have advanced equipment. We've got the greatest training. Uh, I know that. Some people are concerned over certain leaders and they've lost their faith in the military. And I want them to know I have two boys in the army and I raised them right. Mm -hmm. I raised them to serve their country and they're in the military now and they're going through their training and they're going to learn. They're going to learn how to operate like a team. That's right. So I want the American people to know that we've got a great defense force in this country, a great air force, a great Navy. And we need to continue that. We need to continue to make sure that they understand the Constitution. They took a pledge to uh, defend it. And they also took a pledge to defend this country against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Exactly. That's what I'd like to say is that we do have the enemy here on our own ter territory. And it makes it harder. Oh, for sure. And unfortunately, uh, quite a few of them hold government positions. Yes. Really do. So saying that, how do you feel about $85 billion worth of our tax dollars and um, our military equipment being left, you know, in Afghanistan? And so now that gave the Taliban, they are the number one. So we're, we're number one with our helicopter fleet. And now Taliban comes in as number two. <laughs> well, listen, that is all just a failure in leadership. When you when you leave a country, when you exit a country, that is a military, tactical, operational, logistics uh, mission. Mm -hmm. And obviously it was done unprofessionally, incorrectly. And of course, I'm not happy about that. You never leave your equipment behind. Yeah. Um, you get rid of it or you destroy it. Exactly. You're not going to leave it. You're not, you're not going to leave it in the hands of the enemy. So they won. They can learn it. They can duplicate it. They can fabricate it. Yeah. They can sell it to other countries and, and for the tech and things like that. You know, it blew. I mean, right. You, yeah, you can pilfage it for parts. Exactly. You know, and I mean, literally, I would have been I still wouldn't have been happy, but I would have I would have felt a million times better if we would have sent, you know, just a couple missiles and just leveled, you know, put it all in one place and, and just leveled and blew them up. You know, I mean, it wouldn't have been nothing left. You know, but we had time if it would have been executed the way the former administration had laid it out to be executed. We would have had time to get our stuff out. But instead, it was rush, rush, rush. And then when you have the president, the current president, sit there and call the Afghan president and tell him, let the world know that everything is OK. Everything is OK. And he couldn't. And then literally within a day later, he's gone. It was over with. Taliban's in control. So yet there was no outcry for that transcript or impeachment or anything like that. So that shows the um, the double standard that uh, the current administration, it's just, it, it blows my mind how people literally attacked the former president 
and the former administration for what they did. But yet, if they would sit down and actually read the foreign policies, and that's what I try to encourage everyone to do. So if you guys are listening and you hear the stuff that me and uh, Ingrid are talking about, you know, and read the foreign policy, forget whose name is on as president, but read the policy. I can't stress that enough. If you want to talk about something or debate something, read the policy, read the legislation, get to know it before you start accusing or, 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 or making these accusations and, and you have no clue about what is going on whatsoever. So I'm glad we got to touch on that, Ingrid. And one last question for you. And um, so I'd like to know, and I would like for you to uh, let our viewers know, what are your goals when you get elected to U.S. Congress? Well, people ask me, you know, what are my goals? What am I going to do? Um, one of the first things that I'd really like to do is help our law enforcement uh, agencies and uh, help them get the training, the resources, and the mental health services that they need. Mm -hmm. My my number one thing is to support our law enforcement right now. It, it's almost like there's a war on on police today. Oh, and it is. One, they can't fill their seats. They nobody wants to be a police officer, and we need to help them. And I really am going to put efforts into supporting our law enforcement agencies uh, in South Carolina. And that's good to know, but, Ingrid. But that's right. And and then the other thing, like I said earlier, you know, I, I want to demand a congressional investigation uh, into all 50 states and audit. Mm -hmm. uh, I oppose all vaccine and mass mandates. Mm -hmm. I'm 100 percent pro-life and pro-Second Amendment. Uh, I want to introduce an immigration moratorium. I'm going to fight to improve education and the infrastructure in South Carolina. And I want to eliminate the H-1B program and bad trade deals. We have to get people back to work. We do. I've been working my whole life. The economy is important. There's a lot of work out there. People need to stay healthy physically, mentally, spiritually. And that includes work. Get up every day, make your bed and go to work and contribute to your community. Exactly right. That is that is very, I mean, again, very important. And but when you have, you know, uh, so much fear and disinformation spread out, propaganda is what it is, because when they keep the people, you know, just in a in a state of panic, I mean, you know, here, let's just pay them money to stay home, pay them money. Well, where's that money coming from? I mean, it, it, it's amazing how we can vaccinate an entire planet but we can't end world hunger, you know, mm -hmm. so we can incentivize people to stay home and the government to send you a check, but yet you can't go to work. And now it's, Oh, I need more money. I need more money. It's, it, it blows my mind when I hear some of that stuff and uh, I, I don't understand, but uh, we have definitely got to get back on track and, I really do, especially after our conversation, you know, today and then just getting to know you. Uh, I really do think that having a true, you know, a patriot in office that has served the country. So you have seen both sides of the spectrum there. You know, you, you, you were a soldier. You'll always be a soldier. And now you're running for Congress to make the changes that are necessary that we need. 
So I commend you. And then, like I say, I, I'm, I think you're exactly what we need here in South Carolina. And the people that are in the low country that are listening to this today, um, Ingrid Centurion is phenomenal. And I'm not just saying that, but you guys, I mean, you hear it for yourself, you know, and I think she would make a great congresswoman. So I can I encourage you guys, we're going to put the links up at the end of this episode. So they'll be in the descriptions to where you can go and check her website out and you can know, be a volunteer. You can also donate. So Ingrid, is there yes. anything else you would like to say I, I just want, I want, I want people when they go to my website, I want to hear from them. I want to hear what's important to them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about me. It's about them and educating them and a- asking questions. A lot of times they ask me questions and they're state issues. It's something actually at the federal level that I, 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 I will research, I will look into, and I will try to offer solutions mm-hmm. uh, because that's what I like to do. I, I like to fix problems and, um, I uh, love to d- roll up my sleeves, get work done, and and I'm going to tell you um, at least the truth from my perspective, sharing my facts. I I, I, I understand people. I, I always see this side and that side, but at the end of the day, we, we have to come together and we have to move forward. Exactly right. Totally agree. Yep. Well, Ingrid, I want to thank you again, once again, you know, for your service, your husband, your children, everything, you know, and thank you for taking the time once more out of your busy schedule. Cause I know you, you do have a lot going on. I see you making moves here and there. So you're constantly on the go, which is phenomenal because you are a people person. I've seen you personally interacting with the people and uh, it's just, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And like I say, uh, your breath of fresh air, literally. So um, I'm excited for your campaign and um yeah, I, I look forward to seeing what what you're gonna bring to All the right. US Congress here in South Carolina. And like I say, great, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for coming on the show. And okay. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And again, don't hesitate to reach out. And yeah, so you just be safe and be blessed. And we wish you all the best with your campaign. And uh I know you're gonna do great. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Ingrid. So that was Ingrid Centurion, guys. Like I said, she's running for the U.S. Congress, the first district. Phenomenal patriot, literally phenomenal. Not only has she served our country, but overseas, you know, and now we need to give her the chance to serve us here in South Carolina. She would make a great congresswoman. So I can encourage you guys, listen to this episode. We're going to put the links in the description reach out to her, ask the questions. I mean, let her know your thoughts and I promise you she'll get back in touch with you. So saying that, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. I'm your host, Brandon Peak, and this is Podcast 1854. We appreciate those that support and follow this podcast if you would consider making a small donation so we can continue to produce these episodes for you and bring you all the up-to-date news going on around our state.
Today's episode was brought to you by Peaks Production and the South Carolina Federation of Republican Men.